Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, January 7th, and this is your FT News Briefing. In modern American history, the outgoing president has always cooperated with a peaceful transfer of power and helped his successor transition into the new role. But yesterday, as U.S. lawmakers prepare to certify the election of Joe Biden as the 46th president of the United States, normally a rubber stamp process, a mob of Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol, forcing an evacuation and halting the election certification process. One woman was killed. I'm Mark Filipino, and with me now to talk about yesterday's shocking events is U.S. Managing Editor Peter Spiegel. Hi, Peter. Good to be here, Mark. Peter, was this a coup? Ooh, good question. Uh, I guess it depends on your definition of coup. You know, if it's it's sort of your average sort of political science definition, which is sort of usually assumes some sort of, you know, military involvement in the overthrow of a government, then probably not. Also, look, they did storm the Capitol. They did disrupt events. But if you look at what their rhetoric was, they were not trying to overthrow the sitting government. They wanted to try to stop the certification of the vote. So it was certainly, you know, I think people have used the word insurrection. I think that's probably accurate. Were there people who were coup-minded in the group? I have no doubt. But I think calling this a coup, you know, akin to what we normally assume to be a, a coup in, in sort of political science and frankly in journalism may be going a bit too far. But, you know, the fact that we've been debating this uh, and, and, you know, on our news calls with our reporters, we talk about quote unquote, you know, coup coverage tells you how how bizarre we have the era we have landed in is. Peter, speaking of the insurrection term, what's the link between the insurrection by the pro-Trump mob and the lawmakers planned insurrection? I'm talking about the Republican senators and House members who were planning to reject certifying Joe Biden as president. I think, I mean, I think there is a direct link. I mean, you know, I guess we have to go back to the president himself, right? The president himself has been fanning these flames now, you can argue, even before election day, right? You know, he was putting out the word to his supporters that if he loses, there's no way he could lose unless there's a fraud, right? So he's been saying this now for months. Once he actually lost and, and lost rather substantially, you know, again, he's gone on and on and on for two months now that there is wild claims of fraud and it was stolen and, and, and again, with no evidence whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Members of Congress who have supported him on this, uh, particularly in the Senate, have clearly decided that this is a bit of a political stunt. We've talked to some of them off the record uh, or their colleagues off the record, at least. There is a tacit acknowledgement that there is no substance there. But for their own preservation with the Republican system, they want to be seen to back the president. Well, that has blown up in their face, right? What was what they saw is sort of a, a political stunt and a way to cater to the Trump base, and and for some of them to potentially, you know, uh, lay the groundwork for a run in 2024. If that was all they were doing as political stunt, boy, this this gone horribly wrong, right? This has gone from a political stunt to actual violence in the Capitol building where a woman was shot and killed, and people were were maced and, and beaten, right? And so that to me is a direct link, which makes a lot of these senators culpable. Yeah, I do want to talk about that violence for a second uh, and how law enforcement managed the mob at the Capitol. Um, how did law enforcement respond to this compared to the way police and other authorities? dealt with demonstrations in the summer of 2020. I'm talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, I mean, they handled them both horribly wrong, badly, uh, but for different for different reasons, right? In many of the cases of the protests in Kenosha, frankly, even here in New York City, uh, in Washington, D.C., at uh, what is now called Black Lives Matter Plaza, heavy-handed use of you know, non-lethal force, way overuse of force to, in many cases, uh, in most cases, 
peaceful, peaceful protesters. So handled badly then. Let's flash forward to, to, to Wednesday. Handled badly again. I mean, I, this is this has been, you know, and many members of Congress are now asking, where were the Capitol Police? You know, this is a, it was like wasn't like we didn't know that there were thousands of protesters going to gather on the mall of, of, of Washington D.C. in a rather angry mood and being you know riled on by the president to storm the Capitol. Uh, you know, he gave a speech to that crowd earlier in the day where he fanned the flames, and the Capitol Police showed up with very little force and in many cases seemed to allow these guys to wander into the Capitol. And I think there is going to be, and I've already frankly assigned our, our reporters to start working on this. Uh, a, a, a reckoning to be had about why the Capitol Police allowed this to happen. There was talk about the National Guard. Why was the National Guard not deployed beforehand? Um, they had to sort of scramble, you know, in the middle of the of the incident to try to find out whether they can get authority from the Pentagon to send, send you know, National Guard troops into to secure the Capitol. Why the Capitol Police were so uh, lax? Why there was not other law enforcement, you know, the D.C. police themselves, again, the, the National Guard. And then we saw some of these images inside the Capitol where you had Capitol Police, you know, taking selfies with these guys. So I think the Capitol Police has come under a lot of criticism in the past. Sure, people, they bulked up security inside the building, inside the complex. Uh, but clearly, several, if not all of the, the force fell down on their job on Wednesday. And I think there's going to be a reckoning there. So, Peter, you mentioned Trump fanning the flames. Um, before the protests on Wednesday, Trump gave a speech he called the election an egregious assault on our democracy and tells supporters, you'll never take back our country with weakness. Then the break into the Capitol building happens. And in response, Trump releases a video, which seems like it's meant to calm tensions. But then you, you watch it and, and it doesn't it actually doesn't come across that way. I know you pain. I know you hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election and everyone knows it especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. But then something happens after the video is released. Twitter and Facebook both suspend Trump from posting on their sites. We saw some of the people who said they were they would rebel against the certification go back on their word. Are we finally seeing a fallout against Trump now? We saw over the course of sort of Wednesday night into early Thursday morning is a lot of reporting of White House officials threatening to resign. We keep saying there is going to be a red line in which the Trump enablers are going to say this is enough. And we kept being wrong. But perhaps here, two weeks before Joe Biden is inaugurated president, uh, there's enough people who are outraged enough that they will now you know, isolate the president and, and stop relying on him. It was very telling, I got to say, just to add to this. There were a lot of statements of people who were coordinating the, the response to, to, the, to the riots. You know, Nancy Pelosi, uh, even the Pentagon itself put in a statement in which they all were consulting Vice President Pence. I mean, the, the one that was most interesting to me was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the acting Secretary of Defense both put in a statement about what they were doing to, to secure the Capitol. Both of them said they had coordinated with the vice president. Nowhere did they say they were talking to the president of the United States. That, to me, was incredibly telling and, frankly, rather shocking. Uh, this is a man who still has access to the nuclear codes of the United States. Uh, he's suddenly been taken out of the command loop, apparently. But he is increasingly isolated, ranting in you know this image of him sort of ranting inside the White House, almost on his own, because amongst those who were uh, most overtly critical of the president was Robert O'Brien, his, his national security advisor, who came out in praise of Mike Pence and the way he had distanced himself from the president. So a real bizarro performance by the president, in many ways igniting what happened and in, in, in then as it was going on, uh, encouraging it, uh, even as others within the Republican Party, including George W. Bush, who had kept his powder dry until now, came out and openly condemned it. So, so Peter, for a lot of people, this was a terrifying day for American democracy. Yet, if you look at it a certain way, you could also say it was a historic day 
for American democracy, right? Like, after all, we got the final results of a hotly contested but peaceful runoff election for two Senate seats in Georgia. One of them was won by an African-American as a huge change. And then while the mob delayed the presidential certification, in the end, it didn't stop the process. They picked it back up later in the night on Wednesday. So can we call this a resilient day for American democracy? I still think, and maybe this is the American optimist in me, that where are we going to be on January 21st? Joe Biden will have been inaugurated president of the United States, and this process will have played out in which actually it all pretty much worked, right? There was the challenges in the courts. There was the challenges in the state house. There was the challenges on Capitol Hill. But actually, at every step of the way, with the possible exception of the horrible violence that happened on Wednesday, all the institutions did their job, right, as the founders intended it. And what we will see on January 1st is that the system worked despite despite the most powerful man in the world, in open assault on that system. So in many ways, you could say this is a good day. The Senate and the House was able to come back into Congress, take up the the certification process, run it through. Joe Biden will be inaugurated. And the system, as it was designed, held up under its gravest threats since, you know, pick your date, Civil War, Watergate, whatever, whatever crisis you want to pick. So in that respect, I think we will look back on this as a very frightening period, but one that proved the institutions of the American government actually functioned that they were supposed to. Peter Spiegel is the FT's U.S. managing editor. Thank you as always, Peter. My pleasure, Mark. And here's a look at the day's other headlines. Despite the chaos on Capitol Hill yesterday, U.S. equities closed higher. Yields on the benchmark 10-year Treasury were at their highest level since March. Investors are betting that increased spending under President-elect Joe Biden and a Democratic Congress will help the U.S. end global economies and boost inflation. And after an abrupt flip-flop, the New York Stock Exchange said it would now go ahead and delist three Chinese state-run telecoms companies. NYSE had begun the process of removing China Telecom, China Mobile, and China Unicom from the big board. This after an executive order from President Trump blocking Americans from investing in businesses linked to the Chinese military. Then, NYSE officials changed their minds, saying they'd consulted on the rules with regulators. But on Wednesday, NYSE was back to plan A, saying the companies would be knocked off the big board on January 11th. My colleagues report that this about-face came after a call from Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. 
copyright 2024.